The previous Mishnah brought a machloikes between Shammai and Hillel regarding a particular law about uh, mikveh. And at the end of the Mishnah, it was recorded that two weavers, who had a very lowly profession, they lived by dung gate, they gave testimony in the name of Shammai and Avtalyain as to what the halacha was, and it was neither like what Shammai had said, nor like Hillel had said. And nevertheless, the Chachon accepted the opinion of the two weavers over Shammai and Hillel. And this Mishnah asks an interesting question. Why is the Mishnah even mentioning the words of Shammai and Hillel for nothing? If any of the halacha is not like them, rather it's like what the weavers testified in the name of Shammai and Avtalyain, so why does the Mishnah even mention the opinions of Shammai and Hillel? This is really a very fundamental question for many of the arguments throughout Shas. And the Mishnah answers the Lamed, it's in order to teach Ladaris Habotim, the future generations, that a person should not stand by his word and not be willing to budge and be stubborn, even if there is evidence against what he is saying, to still stick with what he is saying the entire time. Rather, he needs to be prepared to admit when he was wrong. Shari because the fathers of the world, these two huge Tamil Chachomim, Shammai and Hillel, Le'omdal Devrehem, they didn't stand by their word and continue saying that they're right, they're right. And what the weaver's saying is not true. Rather, once there was evidence that Shammai and Avtalyain, the Rebbeim, the teachers of Shammai and Hillel, once there was evidence that they had said something else, then they accepted that. And therefore the Mishnah says what Shammai and Hillel had originally held in order to show that they nevertheless ended up agreeing that the, that the halacha is not like they had originally said. Mishnah Hay, the Mishnah now asks a similar question. Why do we ever mention the words of an individual among the words of the majority opinion? Since the halacha always goes according to the majority opinion. For example, if the Mishnah brings an argument between the Chachomim and a different Tana. So the Chachom represents the majority opinion, so the halacha goes according to them. So why does the Mishnah bother bringing both opinions? The halacha always follows the majority. The answer is because there's a difference between a case where everybody agreed that the halacha is like one way, to a case where just the majority of the Chachomim and the Tanoim held that the halacha is like that, but there was a minority opinion which held otherwise. Because in a case where there was a minority opinion which argued against what the majority said, it's true that the halacha was decided according to the majority, but if a later basin will see and agree with the opinion of the minority, and they'll rely on that opinion, and they want to make the Pesach halacha, they want to decide that the actual law should follow what in the previous generation was the minority opinion. Are they able to do that? They are under one condition. That basin of that generation are not able to annul and go against the conclusion of a previous basin. So since the previous basin ruled according to the majority that ruled the halacha in one way, the next basin which comes along will not be able to go against the majority of the previous basin. Unless, unless this basin now is greater than the previous basin. In two ways. Firstly, the chokma in wisdom, which means that the leader of the basin, the head of the basin, is a greater talmud chacham than the head of the previous basin. Uvaminyon and in number. And when we say number, we mean the number of students which follow after the dionym of that basin. If they are greater than the previous basin, both in wisdom and in number, 
meaning in the, on the level of the head of the base then and the number of students which they have, then they are able to rule according to what the previous base then had a minority opinion. So even though the previous base then didn't end up ruling like that because they had a majority ruling otherwise. But if the next base then is greater than them, then they can rule according to what the minority of the previous base then had ruled, had said that the halacha should be. Now, in a case where the previous base then didn't even have a minority, but everybody ruled in one way, in that case, too, the same would apply, that if the next base then is greater than them, then the next base then are able to rule differently, even if the previous base then, everybody there had said the, the halacha is one way. If the next base then is greater than them, then they can go against them. The difference is, if the third base then, the one which comes after that, wants to rule like the first base then had ruled. However, they're not greater than the first two botedin, the first two courts. Even though they're not greater than them, since originally everybody on the first base then had agreed that the halacha is one way, there was no minority opinion which even argued, because of that, the third base then are able to rule in the same way as the first base then had ruled, even if they are not greater than the second base then. That's the power which the first base then gives by having everybody agreeing to what the halacha should be. Alright, now when we're discussing the second base then, which always needs to be greater than the previous base then, it has to be greater in two ways, like we said. That the head of the base then has to be a greater Talmud Chacham, and they have to have more students following that, that base then. What happens if her God if the second base then was greater than the first base then in wisdom but not in number, or or in number of students but not in the wisdom of the head of the basin, then any of that second basin would not be able to go against the previous basin's words. Unless it's greater than the previous basin, both in the wisdom and the level of the head of the basin, and in the number of students which follow them. Mr. Vov, on Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda said, and the way we're going to understand is that Rabbi Yehuda is arguing on the answer of the previous Mishnah. The previous Mishnah asked, why do we mention the minority opinion in the Mishnah at all? And we answered because it basically makes a difference when the third base thing comes along, whether they are able to rule according to what the first base thing had said or not. If there was a minority opinion, then the third base thing which comes along would not be able to change the law from what the second base thing had said, unless they are greater than the second base thing. However, if there's not even a minority opinion, which argued against the first base thing's conclusion, then the third basin would be able to rule like the first basin had, even if the third basin is not greater than the second basin. However, Behuda argues against this, because there are certain cases where even if a basin, a later basin, is greater than the previous basin, even then the basin has not got the power to rule against the previous basin. And that is in a case where the Rabbonon instituted something in order to prevent people from violating a particular Avera. So they, they sort of expanded the prohibitions in order that people don't even get close to violating the Avera. And when discussing one of these enactments and decrees, if the Jewish people, if the populace accepted this upon themselves and it became the general practice, then no future basin has the power to annul that decree. It becomes fixed, part of halacha, and even if a later basin is greater than the previous basin, they're not able to annul that decree. And because of that, Rabbi Yehuda says, in Cain, if so, we need to ask the question again, why do we mention the opinion of the minority amongst the majority opinion for nothing? If Allah follows the majority opinion, and you can't answer me what you answered in the previous Mishnah, says Rabbi Yehuda, that's not enough, because there are certain cases where we mention the minority opinion, even when discussing decrees like this. 
where a greater basin in the future would not be able to change what the previous basin had said. So this answer will not help for every single case. So we need to search for another answer, says Rabbi Yehuda. And what is that answer, according to Rabbi Yehuda? Sheim Yemar Ha'odom. Kach Animakubal, because if somebody will come and say that I have a tradition that this is the halacha, and it goes against what the other Chachomim and the majority opinion are saying, Yomar Loi will be able to say to him, Kedive Ish Plaini Shamata. Yeah, you're right. You heard your tradition comes that that's according to somebody else's opinion. You're not making it up from nowhere, and it doesn't contradict what we're saying either. Rather, there's really two opinions, just that your opinion is the minority opinion, and therefore it is not the halacha. And this is really necessary, because we saw in Mishnah Gimel that Shammai and Hill argued, and then we had testimony in the name, in the name of Shammai and Avtalyain that the halacha was different. So why are we going according to them? So in that case, it must be that we knew that the testimony was totally valid. But now, if anybody comes and testifies that they heard the halacha differently to how the Chachomim and the majority opinion are ruling, then we'll have to listen to them. <laughs> So therefore, we always mention the minority opinion, so that we'll know where it came from. We'll know that he's not contradicting us and saying that he's got a different tradition and perhaps we need to listen to that tradition, to what the halacha was, what the previous generation said the halacha was. But now we'll know that, no, your tradition is true, but it represents the minority opinion and therefore we're not going to listen to that for the sake of the halacha, because the halacha will follow the majority opinion, opinion which is what we hold right now. Mishnah Zayin, the next five Mishnahis discuss different cases, again, not really related to each other at all, but the common theme between all of them is that Shammai himself argues against Beis Shammai. We'll have cases where Beis Shammai himself argue, and then Shammai comes along and argues against both of them. So interestingly, the yeshiva of Shammai argued against him himself. Concerning the laws of Tumah and Tara, impurity and purity, there are a number of different sources of Tumah. For example, there are certain small animals and insects which, when they are dead, they are sources of Tumah, that if somebody touches it, for example, he has contact with it, then he'll become Tomei, and if he touches something else, he can make that thing Tomei, and so on and so forth, depending on the level of purity which is necessary, that will decide for how long the Tumah continues by one thing having contact with the next thing. Now, most sources of Tumah are able to transfer that Tumah onto the next thing in two main ways. One is Tumas Mago, by touching it, that by having actual contact, that transfers the Tumah onto the next thing. And the other one is Tumas Maso, if somebody, let's say, carries that item, even without touching it, the mere fact that he is carrying it will make him Tomei. Now, a dead body, or parts of a dead body, which is known as Avia Vesa it's sort of the grandfather Tumah, it's the biggest source of Tumah, that can transmit Tumah onto something else in a third way, and that is known as Tumas Oihel, Tumah of a roof, which means that if the source of Tumah, let's say you've got a part of a dead body, if that is over something, or over somebody, or if somebody else is situated over that, even without touching it or carrying it at all, but he's situated over or under it, so either he is a roof for it, or it, the dead body, is a roof over him. Or if he and that part of the dead body are situated under the same roof, in those three cases, he will become Tomei via Tumas Oihel. Now there's a Halachal Mesh Sinai, a tradition going back to Mesh from Sinai, that although even a very small part of a dead body can transmit Tumas to somebody else by Tumas Magan, Tumas Masa, in order for it to transfer Tumah to somebody else via Tumas Oihel, it needs to be at least the size of a quarter of a calf of the dead body. That's when we're talking about dead bones, excuse me. Specifically the bones of the dead body, if there isn't any flesh there, then the bones need to be at least a quarter of a calf in order to transfer Tumah to something else as Tumas Oihel. 
And Bisham I say, a quarter of a calf of bones, even from all different bones from different dead bodies, whether it's from two or three dead bodies, it's relevant where the bones came from as long as they all come from dead bodies, even if it's not the same dead body, they all combine to make up that minimum amount of a quarter of a calf to be enough to transfer tumor as Tumas Oihel to something else. However, it needs to be a quarter of a calf of bones from one dead body. Not only that, says Vesilo, it has to be Merov HaBinyon or Merov HaMinyon. From the majority of the structure of the person, meaning of the skeleton really, so that's the legs and the spine, all of the bones which make up those parts of the skeleton, the majority of those bones would be enough to transfer the tumor as Tumas Oihel. Or in Merivah Minyan, the, major- the, the majority in number. So if there are 248 bones, then we would need 125 of them to transfer the tumor via Tumas Oihel. And what we're going to understand this whole opinion is basically that there are three different ways for the bones to transfer tumor via Tumas Oihel. Three different conditions, one of which needs to be fulfilled. Either it needs to be the minimum size of a quarter of a calf, or it needs to be the majority of the structure, even if it's a smaller amount than a quarter of a calf, or it needs to be the majority in number, meaning at least 125 bones. And once again, that would not need to be the size of a quarter of a calf, because you've got the majority of the bones. But in all three cases, it would need to be all from the same dead body. That's the main point on which Basila argues against Bishamai. Right, and Shammai, Shammai has a different opinion to both of them, and Shammai holds that even from one bone, as long as it, it, it is a quarter of a calf, that would be sufficient to transfer Tumor as Tumas Oyel.